0: Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all in the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts. Built by Job Shop Manufacturers for Job Shop Manufacturers. Paperless Parts is the top-rated quoting and collaboration platform in parts manufacturing. Designed with the unique challenges of our industry in mind, patented geometry-driven technology rapidly pinpoints manufacturability issues and levels up the way your shop creates quotes, communicates with buyers, and processes orders. Whether you focus on sheet metal fabrication, CNC machining, additive manufacturing, or one of the many other processes, the secure ITAR registered and CMMC compliant platform streamlines the entire RFQ to cash cycle. As a result, your shop can generate more accurate quotes, faster and more efficiently. Plus, with real-time analytics, you're finally able to make informed, long-term business decisions from your quoting data. Ultimately, paperless parts users tell us we enable them to maximize revenue and profitability improve customer satisfaction, and gain valuable time back in their days. For more information, visit www.paperlessparts.com. Shazam! This is Jay Jacobs. Welcome to yet another really insightful episode of the Job Shop Show. We are thrilled to host Carla Theason, the dynamic CEO of American Flexible Products, American Flexible is an employee-owned company nestled in the heart of Minnesota. Join us as Carla unravels the fascinating journey of her company's evolution, recounting the pivotal moment in 2008 when they embraced full employee ownership through an employee stock ownership plan, otherwise known as an ESOP. This is when they transitioned from founder-owned to employee-owned. Our engaging conversation has Carla- delving into the inner workings of ESOPs, something I've wanted to explore for quite a while, something I really didn't know a lot about. She demystifies the process of share allocation and valuation, which is really the underpinning of an ESOP company's unique structure. Drawing from her rich 29-year history with the organization, Carla shares her personal odyssey of pivoting from a career in nursing and then navigating through diverse roles, and responsibilities before assuming a mantle of CEO. Her story not only mirrors the company's growth, but also highlights the profound cultural bedrock of American Flexible, one rooted in employee empowerment and the cultivation of robust customer relationships. Tune in to gain valuable insights from Carla's wealth of experience and discover how employee ownership has become a competitive advantage for American Flexible it's an episode brimming with inspiration, wisdom, and the undeniable spirit and vibrancy of a truly inspired leader. Here we go. Welcome to the Job Shop Show, Carla.
1: Thanks for having me, Jay. I'm really excited to to be here to chat with you today.
0: I am too. Your background and the company, what you do, as well as the way that you're organized as an ESOP, there are so many questions I have, and I'm very excited to dive into some of the specifics on things that are unique, things that I don't think I've covered before in other podcasts. I wanted to start out, though, I watched your video on your company, really liked it. I would encourage people to go to your website and watch it. And one of the things that struck me, which was something that we did at Rapid, is you say, when someone calls in, they always talk to a live person. Yeah. Why do you have that set up? What is the reasoning behind that?
1: You know, growing up in the industry, and I have been with American Flexible for 29 years, I think it's important to make that personal connection. And it all starts with that person answering the phone, knowing that there's always going to be somebody there to help them to take care of them. So they don't get stuck in that, you know, press three, then press four, dial their last name. We're in a service industry, And we want to make sure that we're servicing our customers the best that we can. And that live person answering the phone with that smile and happy voice is the best way to to start the conversation.
0: Do you train people to smile when they answer the phone?
1: I do. I can tell you. So I started out answering phones with American Flexible and I would go home and my kids would make fun of me for the way that I would answer the phone. (laughs) Like, what do you mean? How am I answering the phone? They're like, you're just too happy. Well, it just shows customers appreciate when they call in and they talk to a happy person. It just sets the tone. So yeah, I mean, when we train people in and I still answer the phone today, if people are busy, I'll pick it up and just greet them with a smile and, you know, start that conversation off in, in the right the right way and let them know that you're here to help.
0: I was trained as a salesperson that when you are speaking on the phone, seems weird. However, when you smile, even though someone can't see you, smile is communicated somehow in your speech. And I personally saw a lot of better reception to my calls when I was smiling, particularly in the first minute or so, when I was cold calling someone,
1: yeah, like you said, it, it comes through. If you're smiling, it makes you feel better, and that you know goes through to to the phone. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm still old fashioned. I still like to pick up the phone and talk to, to people in person. I understand the reason for email, but I don't know. I just think that that's one thing that we've lost a lot in business today is that personal connection. And so I really instill in all of our people here to go talk to your customers to go talk to your vendors to build that relationship I still have customers that call in and talk to me and they're customers I dealt with 20 years ago and I know their kids and I know their family and it's just I think that is missing from business today and I just want our team here to to continue to work at building it to just that's an important part of who we are as a company.
0: I couldn't agree more. People buy from people and if you have that relationship, they are a lot more willing to forgive and work with you when you make the inevitable goof up. Yeah. That relationship is important as opposed to a a robotic voice on the other line. Also, we mandated that Someone live would answer the phone, no no phone systems. I looked at it as, and I think you're saying it in a different way, someone's calling us, they are calling us for a reason, and yes. they want to be helped. And it is our job, the customer service that you mentioned, to help them not to put impediments in their way. So I looked at it as a competitive advantage that all the other shops, would have that voicemail system, and and we also didn't have voicemail. Uh, at the end, we had a few people who had voicemail. However, most people we did not have voicemail we made a note be taken, and it would be we we got to where the people answering the phone would email it to the person, mm-hmm. as opposed to the those pink pink pads. However, I never wanted someone to hide behind voicemail either. I and I you know how people do that
1: yes you know if you if you have bad news to deliver to a customer don't put it in an email don't put it in a voicemail call them explain to them what happened tell them how you're going to fix it and address any concerns that they have you know i think yes. that understand email you can put a lot of detail in everybody likes it in writing follow up with an email if you need to but that that first initial contact needs to be over the phone.
0: Yeah, well, I can see how American Flexible is such a great company to work with as a customer with the attitude that you have as a CEO. Let's talk about your story to getting the BCO and and actually before, let's talk about what does American Flexible product do? Give me a thumbnail sketch.
1: So American Flexible, so we're located in Minnesota, right outside of Minneapolis. And we are a custom fabricator, foam, sponge, rubber for gasket seals, weather stripping, typically flat stock. Um, so we do die cutting, kiss cutting, and we call on OEMs directly. So we will sell into HVAC, electronics, windows, doors. We're going through CMMC, so we work with DOD. Anywhere there's a, a squeak, rattle, airflow, conductivity, any type of gasketing, that's the that's the arena that we're in.
0: And you started out 29 years ago, I think it was years. as
1: yeah.
0: administrative assistant, and now you're CEO. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing. It's, it's so cool to see that and see where the hard work and I'm sure dedication uh, has gotten you. Tell us about that journey. Yeah,
1: so I was employee number four in the company answered an ad in the paper. You know, they were looking for an administrative assistant. I was in school actually for nursing. And they would allow me to do my homework at my desk when I wasn't busy. And just, you know, they they hired me because I actually knew how to read a caliper when I was interviewed. Because, you know, working in manufacturing was very new to me, but I knew how to read a caliper and they're like, hey, you know what? great come in. And so as the company grew, I just grew with the company. You know, we needed somebody in customer service. I learned customer service. We needed somebody in purchasing full-time. I did purchasing. I've done pretty much everything along my journey within the company. And it gave me the opportunity to learn the entire process from the ground up. I created a lot of the processes and it's just the the greatest opportunity that I could have ever wished for. And I am very lucky and very fortunate to have had the opportunity to grow within the company to where I am today. And like I, I tell everybody that I work with, you know, as an employee-owned company, 100% employee-owned company, everybody here is an owner and everybody here has a voice and I understand what you're going through because I have been there. I've been in your role. I understand, you know, what you are having to do every day, what the constraints are, what the issues are. Let's work through them together. And so I just, it gives me, you know, I guess you would say, it kind of gives me street cred with, with Mm. the people just knowing that I'm, I'm not the CEO sitting in the ivory tower kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You earned it. Yeah. It would have been when the company grew and they needed someone to go into customer service to put your head down and not volunteer for that, or or perhaps you were chosen, uh, but it sounds like you would probably have volunteered. What's the mindset? Because you talked about how you learned all the different roles. How did you get that mindset and was it conscious? Was it something you had to have courage to do? Or is it natural within you?
1: For me, it's natural. I'm naturally inquisitive. I didn't know back then that I was, I guess, mechanically inclined to be able to figure certain things out, you know, getting into estimating and manufacturing and operations. But I just, I find it interesting. And it's almost like it's putting the puzzle together. If you understand how does customer service, you know, work with purchasing, how does purchasing work with estimating and, you know, how do they interact? It was just natural for me to be, oh, you know what? I'm doing customer service. They ordered this. Wait, we need the raw material. Well, why don't I figure out how much material we need? Where do we buy it? How do we buy it? And I had really great mentors in the ownership as well who always encouraged me to learn more and basically gave me the, the you know, opened the door to say, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to learn, tell us how we can help.
0: I want to give people the sense of scale. You you were employee number four and I yes. sh- should say team member number four because I always look at that as team. And I think as an ESOP, you probably have the same mindset. How many people are at American Flexible now?
1: I think last headcount was 46.
0: Nice. Yeah. Nice. You had a bunch of different roles and you mentioned you were a buyer. So you were on the other side of the table in a sense. What lessons did you learn as a buyer and interacting with companies that you wanted to do business with that you took away and you put into the culture of American Flexible?
1: It's for me, it's relationship building again, but I still work a lot with with all the different departments. And because I've been here so long, I have a lot of relationships built with customers and our vendor base. And I always, my approach to them is, I understand that there's emergencies and things happen, but I want to build that level of trust where I'm gonna be honest with you, So if it's a mistake that we made and I need your help, I'm going to tell you that. If we are in a line down situation, I'm going to tell you we're in a line down situation. I'm not going to call you up on every single order and expedite this. I need better pricing on that. Because when I really do need that help and that cooperation, I want you to know that I'm being honest and sincere with it. I understand that, you know, we're all in business to be successful and to make money and to have things run through our shop smoothly and asking for price discounts, asking for urgent rushes. can, If you keep going back to the well too many times, it can negatively affect that relationship. So yeah. it's more of an honest communication of, you know what, I need your help in this situation. How can we win this together? And it's the same thing <laughs> with our customers too, is you know what, they are in a competitive situation trying to sell it to their customers as well. So how can we be successful together to help things, you know, be productive, be profitable, and be cooperative with each other?
0: What's the nicest thing a customer's ever said to you?
1: That we're their favorite vendor. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: And did they tell you why you are their favorite vendor? You know,
1: they we are very easy to work with. And, you know, the joke is that, well, flexible is our middle name, easy one, I know, but we really are, you know, we want to be here to help the customer. One of the founders always said, treat them well, because they remember customers are the only one that sends you money.
0: Mm -hmm. And,
1: but we do it's, you know, I want to, we take a lot of pride in who we are, the service that we give, the quality that we give, and we are growing in the marketplace And I really want AFP to be that that fabricator that is well-respected, that has a really good reputation because in the scheme of things, it is a a small community and we're really proud of what we have built. And we want, as a 100% employee-owned company, we want to go on for generations. And reputation, quality, service, dependability, all of that is very important to our identity and so just knowing that our customers that were easy to work with, and it's just, it, it makes, makes me and, and the rest of our team really, really proud.
0: That is a wonderful approach to business. I love it. And I think is more fun. And the benefit though is that the customers will see you on their favorite vendor. And yeah. one of the things that, rapid, we had a, I'll call a subcore value was frictionless business environment. We wanted to be so easy to work with that they automatically gave us the business because they had so many other vendors who were problems or would take up more time. And they knew that they could offload it to us and get that off the plate and get, down to the other things that we're going to suck up their time. And sounds like you have the same approach.
1: We always like to give our customer hope. We never, nobody ever likes to say no. Sometimes we have to, we understand that. Mm-hmm. But if they call us with an issue, whether it's delivery, new part, line down, whatever it is, we always say, you know what, give us time, let us look into it. What do you need? How soon do you need it? How can we be of service? And we will all get together as a team. If it takes my production manager, my engineering manager, whoever it is, we're going to mm-hmm. do what we can to help the customer out because it is a customer service business. And the more that you help them, the more loyal that they're going to be.
0: Yes. I think relating to this and a lot of the things that we're talking about are culture. Yeah. On your, I believe it's LinkedIn profile, you have... Hashtag, we own our future. Yeah. Tell me about that.
1: So we, in 2008, there were three founders and they were looking at retirement. And I remember sitting in my office, I think at that point I was senior buyer and they had people come through and there were, there was three, four, four key employees at that time who had been with them. For let's see here. So the first three before me were all still with the company at that time. So we were all kind of talking like, "What's going on? What are people coming in for?" And then a couple of months later, I had overheard a conversation about selling the company and got concerned. So I went and talked to the CEO, and he's like, "You know what? We're just looking at options for retirement." And about a month later, they they brought the employees together and they said, "You know what? Everything that." all of you have done for the company. We wouldn't be here where we are without you. And yes, we are going to be retiring, but we are selling the company to our employees and we will be a 100% employee owned company. And they fully trusted in us to kind of carry on that legacy. And that was 2008. So we own our future is because we are 100% employee owned, everybody here no matter who you are no matter what role you know it's you know our administrative assistant answering the phone you know putting that smile on greeting the customer it's customer service taking care of the customers helping them out it's purchasing are they buying the best that they can buy are they saving us money it's people Uh in production or you know our production team are they hitting efficiency ratings so everybody here has a direct role in the, the success of the company because of that 100% employee ownership. And that's a really exciting opportunity for us to own our future because it is in our hands.
0: I have a lot of questions about ESOP. They came to you and they said, we want to sell to the employees. Mm-hmm. And had you ever heard of ESOP before that?
1: I did, and my first exposure to an ESOP was not a good one. The company that I I knew of previously actually went bankrupt because oh. it was, I, well, I don't think they were 100% employee-owned, but basically they mismanaged their ESOP and they went mm-hmm. bankrupt and closed. So when they said employee-owned, I'm like, yes. oh no, this isn't going to be good. And, they, you know, the, the ownership at that point, I still see them. We still get together and they always, you know, hey, remember when you didn't think this was going to be a good idea? <laughs> yeah, it was scary because we didn't know.
0: How does it work? They, three owners, yeah. own 100% of the company, and now they want to transition to the employees owning 100% of the company and they own none. How does that work? What are the mechanics?
1: you know in the beginning obviously we weren't privy to to how it all got set up how they determined how they you know what direction they were going to go for for the for the buyout but what i can tell you is that they went to the bank and they took out a loan for roughly half the value of the company and then mm-hmm. the company then lent them took out a loan out from the company for the other half and so we paid the, the bank loan every month to the bank for half the value of the ESOP. And then we paid the owners their payment every month for, for the other half. So that was, they termed it a friendly loan because it was loaned directly from them to the company for half of it.
0: So they, at the time, essentially they sold hundred percent of it. It wasn't a step transit.
1: No, it was hundred percent. Yeah. So I'm just going to throw a, a fictitious number out there. Say that the company yep. was valued at six million dollars. Three owners. They each, you know, earned their their two million dollars share. Mm-hmm. So the company would have loaned them three million. And or sorry, they would have essentially loaned the company that three million dollars that we had to pay back directly to them. And then they went to the bank for the other three million. And then the company paid that loan as well.
0: I assume that bank had first priority that correct point. yeah yes. and i don't know what the interest rates were at the time probably pretty low at that time from it seems though that a lot of cash flow going out the door to pay the owners and cash is the lifeblood of the business particularly if you're trying to grow if you want to maybe not even invest in new technology but replace equipment that has outlived its life how many years was the the payout structured was it different for the two loans
1: they were both 20-year loans ah okay yeah yeah
0: and are you still paying on those loans as a company
1: Nope, all loans have been paid off for the esop
0: so you were able to have enough cash left over after paying those loans to grow to generate the cash which it sounds like you were able to pay the loans off early
1: Yep, being so AFP was started during a recession. And in spite of starting during a recession, and we've been through what, probably three at least that I can think of since I've been with the company, it was run very conservatively. And instead of buying new equipment, they would buy used equipment and refurbish it. Two of the owners at that time were degreed engineers. And so they would build jigs, fixtures, they hand-built machines. So we weren't going out and, and spending a lot of money on brand new capital expenditures. And so it was, there were some lean times. 2008, I remember sitting in the meeting in probably May, June of that year when they announced we're becoming 100% employee owned. October of 2008 was our largest month in sales in the history of the company. Everything was great. That December, <laughs> yeah, that December I mean, our, our, yeah. you could hear the birds chirping. And, I lived through
0: it. That was a yeah. hard period.
1: It, it was a very, very different conversation. And, you know, there's a, a lot of cost associated with even getting the ESOP set up. And I mean, it probably back then, a couple hundred thousand, just in, you know, I mean, when lawyers yeah. are... Are charging a thousand dollars an hour; it gets expensive. So yeah, they had put a lot of money into establishing the ESOP, and business, you know, was was suffering. And so we were we were all a little scared. And yeah, you have all these loans that are due. And back then, I don't know if they put off taking their loan payments for the health of the company. I wouldn't doubt it because that's just who they were. But we made it through, and we learned a lot of of really. Tough lessons, but really valuable lessons on how to lead a company through those tough times.
0: How many people were at the company when the ESOP was formed?
1: We were right around 20 people. So it was a a small company and it was, yeah, right around around 20.
0: When they sold, was that their last day or did they remain with the company or did they coming even if they weren't being paid and helped how did that transition
1: yeah so they each held so we had ceo coo and cfo our cfo retired within about a year and then our ceo retired a few years after him and then the, the last one retired in 2017 so they all, they kind of you know staggered it so we we did have them to refer to I still, two of the three still stop in, they call and check in and have a great relationship. The other one decided, you know what, I I gave you my all and now I'm going to enjoy retirement. So it's a really great opportunity. And we feel a lot of pride when they come in and see what we've done, the new equipment, you know, we doubled our size, square footage back in 2019. And it's always Exciting for them to come in, and when they walk through, everybody's smiling and beaming because it is, you know, they entrusted us to grow the company and to do right by all of our coworkers, all of our employee owners. And that's why we come to work every day. You know, when I come to work every day, it is an added pressure, but it's also added pride to know that it's because of us and what we do every day that the company is successful.
0: Yes. Yeah, they must feel good about their baby being handed off and actually continuing to grow. Yeah. I want to dive back, though, into some nitty gritty. Yep. Someone's listening and they're thinking about an Aesop. The owners, they remain for different periods of time. They were still drawing a salary then. Correct. Yep. That was commemorate with what they okay, should be paid. Yep. Did, do you know if they adjusted that from what they were previously making? Yep.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, when it was privately held, they were privy to whatever they were making, and they did make sure to let everybody know that now, as an employee owned company, you know, we do our salary surveys okay. and it's yep. all based on, you know, current market. So all of the salaries for the executive team are, are based on current market rates.
0: I'm trying to understand you started out in essence the company owned all of its shares and then they were distributed out in to the existing employees probably based somewhat on tenure, maybe the compensation role, et cetera. And who who determined that? Was was that the owner? Was it a I'll call it an ESOP committee? And then moving forward, are you and others who've been there? able to earn more shares in the company? And how about new people who come in? How how does that whole employee ownership thing work and starting from the beginning?
1: So good news is the federal government is very involved in how ESOPs are set up. So my previous experience with an ESOP should not happen today because there is a lot of oversight. There's actually three different companies that we work with for the ESOP. One is our trustee and they kind of help us, they answer questions, they distribute, they're the ones that we send money to every month that we put into fund the ESOP. There's the valuation company. And so once a year we go through a valuation They come out, they talk to the leadership team, they look at sales of the last year, the last last couple of years to kind of see, you know, how things have been going. They Uh look at your forecast, they get our monthly financials, they get our tax returns to, to really get an idea of the financial stability, the sales, are we growing? Who are your top customers? What are your profit margins? So they have full access to all of our financials. And based on current market value of the company, they will determine a share price. And Mm -hmm. they then give that share price. They come back to us and they say, okay, here's your share price that was based on these factors. Do you agree with it? Do you disagree with it? And then we've never said, no, we don't disagree. Not sure what would happen if they did that. Sometimes we're like, it went up how Mm -hmm. much? (laughs) which is a good thing, but then they will give that share value back to the trustee. And then there is a another company that will distribute all of the shares and all of the cash if people are you know, diverse. There's a lot of different ways to get money out. So there's three companies that take care of all of the regulation of the ESOP and control all of the money and determine the share price. So with AFP, Basically, when they went and they took the loan out for the company, they put in, let's just round number, let's say that there were 100,000 shares Uh and those shares are distributed are released over a 20-year period, 20-year loan. So a 20-year period that the Uh shares were released, even though we paid the loan off early, it's still 20 years. So every year that would make 5,000 shares are released and distributed through all employees that are eligible. And eligibility is you have to be here one year to get into the plan. And your number of shares are distributed based on tenure with the company and compensation. So the longer you are with the company, the the higher your compensation, the more your number of shares you earn. It's kind of a behind the scenes calculation. The three companies that I was talking about, there's one of them that takes care of all of those calculations to determine the number of shares that everybody earns. And then everybody has the exact same share value, and it's very much like a four hundred one k where it's a five year vesting period. And
0: uh, okay, uh, yeah, that, yeah, that's that's important. Yep,
1: yeah. yep. Yeah. Uh, so once you're in the plan for five years, you're one hundred percent vested, and every year as new shares are released, all, the, the number of shares you have should always go up because as mm-hmm. people leave, whether it's through you know retirement, disability, you know. Just leaving jobs, whatever it is, all of those shares, we buy all of those shares back, and then all of those shares are recycled back into the plan.
0: So many questions. I'm going to state something for confirmation. You have grown, let's say you've a little more than doubled the number of team members. I don't know how that translates to revenue, but not as important. Say theoretically, of those 5,000 shares, you're going to get half as many shares as you did when the ESOP was formed yeah. because there, however, because the share price hopefully has more than doubled in the interim, the total value you're getting every year, the share price times the number of shares it's greater and greater every year, even though you're receiving perhaps less shares.
1: Yes. Yep. I can tell you that just in the last seven years that I've been CEO the the company revenue has doubled, and we have seen significant increases in our share value because of that.
0: What happens to the go back in? You said that they're distributed over a twenty year time frame. So, let's say you're at the ten year point, and you have distributed fifty thousand shares, but ten thousand of them have come back. So, there's only sort of forty thousand held. And there's 60,000. Do you then distribute over the next 10 years, 6,000 shares a year instead of five?
1: Yeah. So there is a time period that those recycled shares, they don't all go back in and just get distributed the next year. It is a 10-year cycle. So if somebody were to leave and they yeah. had 5,000 shares, those 5,000 would get then distributed okay. over that, that time frame.
0: Yeah. And so there will never be more than that theoretical 100,000 shares in the company. Correct. Gotcha. huh? Pretty interesting. And so the first year then, with the 20 people who are with the company, you split the 5,000 shares amongst yourself. Yes. Okay.
1: And I think our, our first share value back then was 26 cents a share.
0: Okay. You are transparent with everyone within the company. Does that include financial reporting?
1: Yes. Yep. I mean, they as an employee-owned company, to get their buy-in so they really understand how each department, each person can affect financials. You uh-huh. need them to be able to to understand, you know, how much did we sell? What was the profit? What is our profit margin? What are the hours work that it takes? It's just, uh-huh. there, there's so many different, I mean, we, we try not to get too deep, but if they have questions, obviously they can come and ask, but we do post financials. Every month, number of jobs, total sales, you know, efficiency by resource, that type of mm-hmm. thing. So everybody can, you know, get a better understanding of
0: how where do all the you, costs come from. How do you teach them? Because most people have an education in accounting or financial literacy.
1: We've sat down with the group and the remodel is we put a great big TV in in our lunchroom. The results just used to get posted on a board and nobody would ever go to them. But they're posted on the video now. So when they're sitting in there on break, it will scroll through everything. And once a year when we have our meeting, when we hand out stock certificates, we talk ESOP and we actually have three different groups that we talk to now because the longer we're in ESOP, you have people who've been in here almost since day one who are, are way past, you know, looking at, oh, I'm eligible for diversification, or I'm looking at retirement. So that's one conversation. And you have the conversation people that have been in there, you know, four, five, 10 years who, you know, they understand it, but they may like getting a a bigger balance, what can I do with it and have a different set of questions. And then you also have the group we call zero to four years who are new to the ESOP. And they have a, a lot of questions that new people are going to have. And so the longer that they're in it, the more different, the more in-depth the yes. questions are. And so mm-hmm. it's an open conversation with everybody just kind of talking, here's how your share value is determined. Here's your number of shares. Here's what we do to affect it. Here's how the sales affect it. Here's how to read you know, the information that we're putting up.
0: You mentioned that you send money to one of these three companies. Is that distributed as a dividend? Do you new dividends to shareholders or what happens? Let, let's say you were like crazy and you had 50% EBITDA in the company. You had this pile of cash. What happens to that pile of cash then? And, and, and that's my way of asking about dividends.
1: Uh, so no, we, so ESOPs can be set up many, many different ways. We do not pay dividends. So the way that it works is you are only allowed for our plan anyway to contribute like I believe for us, it's 25% of our annual payroll that we can contribute to the ESOP. So if your payroll is four million dollars, the most that we could contribute to that ESOP annually is a million dollars. Well, mm-hmm. over time, if you have a really long tenure and people stay with the company, the company grows, the company is profitable, you can get into a situation where you can't, if you aren't maximizing that 25%, you may not have enough money in your plan to naturally pay off people that that leave.
0: So the money that you send them is essentially a piggy bank. And that is what's used to buy the shares back when someone retires or however it's structured, has the ability to sell the the shares that they've earned? Correct. Ah, okay. That makes sense now. I'm listening and I really like my team and I would like to retire or my partner and I would like to retire. What would you say to them about ESOPs?
1: I think that they are a really great opportunity to reward your team that has really played a big part in the the success of your company it is an opportunity to to give back you know it also takes a lot of courage as a, i think as an ownership group to to i don't say hand over to 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 trust that the company is going to be successful i mean obviously they get their money <laughs> Our owners trusted us enough that we owed them, the company owed them a lot of money through the journey. But I just, I I think it's, we are all so fortunate to have the opportunity that we have. And it is a great succession story, a great success story for the company to know that you built a team that you trust to take over and- our owners to to return and just have that pride and it's just it's amazing from an employee point of of view and even I think from if you were to to talk to the owners of AF it's really it's I mean honestly it's hard for me to put into words because I'm just I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity that we have been given and Mm -hmm. I think that I would really encourage owners to look at it as a way to to retire, to to you know, step back in the company, you know, over the the course of, I think that staying with the company is, is a great way to hand over that torch. I, I would never recommend that somebody turn an ESOP today and leave tomorrow. You you really have to have a solid succession plan for it to be successful and transparency for it to be successful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And in the right team that you know is going to treat it as as if it's their own, because it is. I mean, yeah, we are 100% employee-owned, but we all have ownership in it, and we are going to come to work every day like it is our own, and we are going to put in that time, that effort, because we want it to be successful, because there is no other choice.
0: Mm, yeah, you're all in it together, and I think – as you said it's a way f- for an owner to transition out of the business however it's not a strategy to leave tomorrow if right. you're thinking about this you I this is my interpretation it's probably a 5 year plan maybe yes. from the day the day you start thinking about cuz you're not going to implement it immediately it's going to take six, 12, 18 months to implement, and some if you don't have that. You, as part of this whole transition, went on the Board of Directors in 2009. Is, is, was that when the ESOP was formed, there was a Board of Directors formed with it? Correct. How many people are on the Board of Directors? What was the rule? Who guided?
1: So trustee of the ESOP is on our board of directors, and, and we've always had an internal board. At that time, the mm-hmm. three founders were on the board, and then there were three of us at a VP level that were all promoted at that time, VP of manufacturing, VP of sales, and then I was promoted to VP of operations. So technically with the trustee, there were seven of us on the board.
0: Tell me a little more about the trustee. Is that a institution that appoints someone to be the quote, oh, trustee, how, how does that work?
1: Yeah, so one of the three outside companies that help oversee the the ESOP, one of those, the the financial company that holds all of our money, they act as our trustee. And then there so, is one of, basically a, one of their employees is on our board as a trustee that represents them, the, the financial part of the ESOP.
0: Has that person changed over time?
1: We are on the second person, but the the person that's on the board now has been with the company since we started the ESOP. So there is really great continuity. They know us very well.
0: So within that organization, it's not one person that holds it close to their vest. There's other things going on that Correct. involve other people in that, in that financial institution.
1: Yeah, the, the each of the companies has a team that we work with. So there is usually in our, our annual meeting, probably nine or 10 people from those three companies, total nine or 10 people from those three companies that are in our meeting that all know us very well.
0: You became CEO in 2016. So there right. was someone else who was CEO at the start of the ESOP, and I don't know if they continued until you took the role. Tell me about that transition and who had to decide that you were going to be the next CEO, and how did you advocate for yourself and earn that right?
1: So it was the board of directors. So within AFP, obviously, there were three of us at the VP level. Who had all been with the company? So, employee number one, employee number two, and then me as a, a team member number four. So I should say team member. But honestly, it could have been any of us three because we had all grown with the company, and I don't think none of none of us really went at it advocating for ourselves. We all, you know, had a, a great relationship, and regardless of who would have been. Promoted to CEO. Um, I mean, they could have went elsewhere. We we assumed they were going to stay within. Um, but regardless of who it would have been, we would have been supportive of each other. Um, we really do work as a team. Even today, it doesn't matter who you are, the title that you have, you are an employee owner. But the the founders and the the trustee, they they kept the the three VPs out of it who were on the board because. Obviously you don't sure. want, you know, <laughs> just would have been a really uncomfortable situation, but I was, you know, fortunate enough to be chosen to be CEO. I, I believe that it's because of my role in the company, having been in so many different roles and not only doing a, a manufacturing role or not only doing a sales role. It's really, I think, understanding the entire operations that mm-hmm. really set me up to to be successful in the CEO role. And so they they did, you know, after the decision was made, they did talk to us all individually, just out of respect for all of the employees. And we went into the boardroom and I was nominated and you know, the vote was seconded and everybody agreed. I had the support of the entire team to take over as CEO. And it meant even more to me to know that I did have the support of the entire team even though it could have been any of us that were promoted.
0: Yes. Yeah, that tells a lot about the company and, and the team that there's no hard feelings and at the end of the day, they're behind you. Yeah. Nice. nice. Yep. Are any of the original founders still on the board?
1: One of them is still on the board. Yes.
0: And who did you replace the other two with?
1: we are actually working on that right now is that always having an internal board. So we just have a smaller team. Now they haven't been replaced. Always having an internal board is comforting because they understand who we are, what we do, but we're all comfortable enough speaking our truth and being respectful of each other. We are now adding outside advisors to our board Uh. and eventually probably, you know, whether you call it a test run for the outside advisors, before we actually bring them on as full voting members. I think uh-huh. when you're in ESOP, there is a certain culture that you need to to understand. And we want to bring them in as, as advisors to obviously learn from them and their expertise. But we also want them to get to know AFP, what our culture is, who we are as a team. And what we expect them to bring and also learn to know what they expect of us. Mm -hmm. So just building that relationship before we bring them on as a full voting member.
0: Anything else you want to add about ESOPs, governing structure?
1: You know, I would honestly encourage, I know that there's a lot of manufacturing and doesn't always have to be manufacturing. I mean, there are... Really large companies out there. There's grocery store chains that are um, 100% employee owned. So, any business out there. But obviously, I know and love manufacturing. And I would truly encourage any owner who is looking at succession planning, who is looking at selling, to look into an ESOP. You get a lot of buy in from your people. And I know that there's obviously advantages for taxes when you're an ESOP. It's a really great opportunity. And for people that are looking at going to work for an employee-owned company, it is a great opportunity to to be part of a team where you're valued, where you're empowered to be better, where you are empowered to have a voice. If you have an idea for change, for growth, for machines. And we have people in manufacturing who come to us and say, hey, you know what, I I was watching a YouTube video. This would work really great in my operation we listen to them. So it's just a really great opportunity to, to be part of a company where you are valued.
0: Well, the fact that you have team members watching YouTube videos about something related to their job, probably after work hours, that that says a lot in itself, right? Yeah. We've been chatting quite a while about your story and the ESOP and we're hitting up on our time and Maybe we'll talk offline because I don't have a lot of experience with the the flexible products that you you make the foams the rubbers the plastics. I'm curious as well. I saw a couple terms on your website: his cutting and rotary die cutting. And I will say that you guys have a nice blog where I was able to find a very short blog yet concise on what those are and I got up to speed pretty quickly fascinating to me though the way that your process is implemented how you get from sheets of material and inside I guess in some cases actually create your own sheets and get to that that finished product though so if anybody uh, let, let's hear it in the comments if people want to get Carla back on and talk more specifically about how flexible products are manufactured and all the nuances there. Uh, I will end though with a question and certainly if you've got some questions, I'm happy to to spend a couple minutes. I'm really impressed with the growth mindset that you have and the learning, the curiosity. I saw that you went back to school within the last 10 years to get a degree and do you belong to any group like ypo or vistage anything beyond yourself to help you do a better job at the company
1: you know that is one thing that i've been so busy building the company and i am still very much in the weeds and that's a, a both a a benefit and a curse um, mm-hmm. but no i'm really you know trying to create a better network i'm on an advisory council for one of our major vendors that we're a preferred converter for um, a local uh, association here in the Twin Cities Manufacturers Alliance that, that we're involved with. Uh, But, you know, we are just in the process of implementing paperless parts. And so starting to network through, we're set power West for them and they have local events as well. So really now really starting to grow and build that network because we do have a, a pretty aggressive growth mindset here we're in the process Mm -hmm. of implementing cmmc itar and as9100 we should be ready for the certification for cmmc in april so adding new equipment new technologies new capabilities and it's it's exciting i love to to create i love to build i love new opportunities we have a, an amazing sales team that goes out there, calls on customers, works with engineers to to help solve problems, bring them solutions. We have a, our, our manufacturing team is, you know, Jim, the, the production manager, has been with us for 30 years. You could say, hey, Jim, I need to run this part. And he will tell you exactly what the die is, what the process is. I'm just really proud of the team that we have that have got us to where we are today, the growth that we've seen over the last seven years since I've been CEO. And I know that they are going to help get us to our, you know, our our sales goal, you know, our three-year, five-year sales goal and and beyond. So,
0: Do you use any formal operating structure for the company, like Traction or Scaling Up?
1: You know, we have just introduced Traction. We bought the book for our entire management team. So we're all investigating how we can use some of the philosophies and what we do and how we can, you know, make AFP operate better. That is one thing that that's really great about, about us, even though we have a lot of long-term employees. They all want to improve. They all want to, you know, the lean manufacturing. So we are getting a lot of buy-in and they come up with some really great ideas too. So it's how can we be better to be more profitable to continue to grow?
0: Excellent. I could keep asking you questions for another hour. I don't think people want to listen that long, at least right now. What would you like to add that you think is important that I didn't cover today with you?
1: A big thing for me is growing up in the industry. And I say growing up because I was 19 when I started at American Flexible. And obviously those early years, it was a very male dominated industry. I mean, it it still is. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so the young people out there in general, manufacturing can be a really great career. There are so many different opportunities, whether you are working in the manufacturing shop, whether you are working in the in the office, it's not something that obviously isn't going to be glamorous every day, but you get the opportunity to solve so many problems, to work in so many unique um so, um, so many unique parts. We make parts that go into submarines, we make parts that go into jets, we make parts that go into computers. There's always something very interesting with manufacturing. and to to women, you know there is a place for you in manufacturing. And it used to be a good old boys club. i'm I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I used to go to conferences and they would look at me like, "Whose secretary are you?" And you had to grow a thick skin back then, but it also made me who I am, and I know a lot of people in the industry because I've been in it for so long. And today it's a really great industry. They're very welcoming. They are very respectful of everybody that's in it. And we have a lot of great opportunities to impact the way that manufacturing is run. And I would say to never give up and to continue to grow and learn and that you can go anywhere and be anything that you want to be. And I'm proof of it. And I'm very fortunate, but I've also worked very hard to get where I
0: am. You have a wonderful story. I love the culture that you have embedded in American Flexible. And I know it's a team, however, it starts at the top. Yeah. I've learned so much about eSops and very inspiring. If someone wants to reach you, what's the best way to do that?
1: They can call us directly. They will be either you know, somebody and will. Someone will
0: answer. answer. Or they can.
1: My email address is carla c a r l a at Flexible dot
0: com. Thank you so much for your time, Carla. Yeah, it thank was you. Wonderful. And ESOPs probably aren't for everyone. And if you're a younger owner, you may not even be thinking about that transition point. I think it's a great way, though, to give back to your team. And if you truly have built a team to watch them continue to grow and leave your baby in the hands of people that you cross. So with all that said, until next time, keep those lasers cutting and those spindles turning. Have a super day. Thanks for listening to the Job Shop Show podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Not only do I read every single one, it also helps me understand what content matters most to you. Thanks again for listening to The Job Shop Show.